Welcome to the Branches podcast. Branches is a community of faith, hope and love in the South Orange County. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about our faith or our community, visit our website at branchesoc.com. So 1 Samuel uh, 16, and then we'll spend most of our time in 17. And we are starting a new series called Simple Church, and we'll get to that here shortly. If you need a Bible, um, please take the one that the, uh, the ushers are offering you. Please don't be intimidated by their tats. Uh, they're really nice guys. They're very sweetheart. Um, wait, Mike, you don't have any tats though, do you? One? Yeah, it doesn't really count. One, I mean... <laughs> yeah, I mean, you got to have multiple tats. Like, BT, that's how it should be done right there. Up the neck, the sleeves. If you're going to go, go big. Anything worth doing is worth overdoing. So we're going through the series, uh, Simple Church. And this morning is kind of the kickoff for it to kind of give us direction on where we're headed. And you may think you know where we're going, but even I don't really know where we're going. And I have it mapped out for the next uh, eight weeks. But the heart of it is, can be found in, in 1 Samuel 17. So that's why we're going to spend our time there this morning. We're not going to be spending the next eight weeks there, but we will this morning. And when we planted branches, um, it's kind of cool because uh, we have um, all these shoreline people in the band this morning, which is amazing. Casey comes in and leads worship here a lot because, well, we just love him leading worship because he's so good at it. And then he decided, well, I'm just going to bring my entire family, literally his family. So his mom's singing over here, his dad's back there. Then these guys aren't related to him, but they're good friends with him. So we got these guys, and so it's kind of like shoreline north or north east. We, well, you're south. We're north. Really far north. So, so sure like, it's like shoreline north right now up here on the stage. Shoreline unplugged. There you go. Uh, but when we planted branches from shoreline, and uh, George and Paul and, and, and I were sitting there and and I'm like, wait, what's going on? And they're like, no, it'd be a great idea. I'm like, oh, wait, what? What are we doing here? But the thinking was, and, and you could hear people say this all the time. They'd say, uh, well, there's only 30 of you, so you're small now, but it's going to be big. As if that was the goal. Um, and then we'd have other friends uh, that would come and go, oh, man, this is amazing. You're going to get huge. As if that was a goal that we had. And then we'd have other people that would be at branches and they'd go, you know why I'm at branches? Because you're small. And when you get big, I'm out of here. Kind of like a threat. Like, once you get big, I'm gone and I'm going to go look for the small one. Because some people think that large is the goal and some people think small is the goal. But it doesn't matter. Size is the least bit of importance when it comes to a community of faith. It has an influence, it has its strengths, it has its, its challenges, but it's not the goal. Um, there's a passage, and it was cool, I came in this morning, and, and Stephen Burnett, you've got to thank Stephen, he's the one that always does, well not always, but quite often will do the, uh, the computer, and he's putting these videos together. Stephen, could you raise your hand? Don't stand up, because I don't want you to intimidate anyone with how tall you are. But Steve's back there, and I told him the passage we were going on, he's like, whoa. This is the week I'm getting that tattoo. I've wanted to do that for years to get 1 Samuel 16 tattooed. And I'm assuming it's this exact passage. If it's not, it ruins the whole story. So don't tell anybody. But this is the passage that I want us to hear this morning. And then we'll get deeper into that. And this is 
the Lord talking to Samuel about Saul, the king. And um, Saul basically is no longer going to be the king. And so this is what the Lord says to Samuel. Do not consider his appearance or his height because Saul is one of those guys that you see and you're like, whoa. Like women would call him eye candy. Men would go, oh, that's, that's the goal right there. 6'3", 6'4", your shoulders are out here. It shrinks down to here. You should probably pick up your shirt because we can see the abs or just wear tight. I mean, that's the goal. Like you'd have a tight shirt like this. Your, your biceps are showing. Like, that's the guy. And so, but the Lord says to Samuel, don't consider his appearance or his height. So he is big. He is the goal for that period of time. But the Lord says, I have rejected him. For the Lord does not look at the things human beings look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. When we talk about being a simple church, we are talking about looking at the heart, going to the heart of what matters to God. What is he calling us to? Not just branches, but the churches. And the thing is, is a lot of people go, oh, this is a small church. Um, and I thought the same thing. But then it was brought to my attention that we're actually large in terms of the average in the United States. So um, can you sh put that little graphic up there? I don't usually put graphics like this, but it's, it's hard to believe sometimes. So some of you aren't going to, you're going to, which color is that? I can't see that dot. Which one's what? The one on the far left, that's a church that's 100% or less. I mean, 100 people or less. So 46% of the churches in the United States are 100 or less. The next one is somewhere between 100 and 500, and that's us. That's the yellow. That's 37%. So if you haven't already done the math, what that's saying is 83% of the churches in the United States are 500 or less. And most of those are 100 or fewer. That's just the U.S. But you think, because you're from Southern California, oh, those are the small churches. But we're actually considered medium size. And then if, when you travel the world, like I think of being in, um, I think of when I was in South Africa, and uh, I went in to teach at this one church, and it was like 60 people. But that was the norm. And then I went to another church in, uh, in Haiti, and um, I walked in there to teach, and it was like 40 people. And then I remember going to this, this church in Guyana, which is in South America, and um, we call it the Rambo Church, because they were so crazy. And they were, it felt like there were 600 people there, but when we looked around, we counted, it was like 110 people. But they were so passionate that it felt huge. I remember being in Africa, and I was teaching at this church, and I'm sitting there, and in the front row, um, you know, looking over, and I'm teaching, and this lady's just looking at me as she's breastfeeding. I'm like, all right, that's how we roll here. There's like 30, 40 people, and that's just how they work. And then when we planted branches, there was like 30 of us. We met at the Arevalo's house, and uh, there was a lady breastfeeding right next to me while I was teaching. So I'm looking at everybody, and they're not looking me in the eye. I'm like, what are they looking at? I'm like, oh, she's breastfeeding right next to me. That makes sense. Size-wise... I know I got us off the size-wise, and now you're just imagining breastfeeding. <laughs> but I mean, Dave was up here with Dutch earlier, you know, holding the baby. So we're, we got a theme going. But the thing is, is we judge on appearance. Our role here on this planet 
and we've talked about this for so many months now, uh, you know, from what everything that God took our family through, reminding me, this is why you're here. We are here to be a light to the world. That is our heart. We are here to accomplish God's purposes, to have our heart beat with His heart. The goal is not a certain size or any other goal you want to fit. It's to accomplish that. Um, there's a passage that Jesus referred to. Um, he refers to it in Luke, but it goes back to Isaiah 61. He walks into the synagogue and he opens it up because he's the, he's the teacher that's coming to teach. He opens up the scroll and he reads this passage from Isaiah 61. He says, the Lord's spirit has come to me. Talking about himself. Because he has chosen me. This is a prophecy about the Messiah. And Jesus is applying it to himself. The Lord's spirit has come to me because he has chosen me to tell the good news to the poor. Why are we here? To get big, to stay small? That has nothing to do with our goal. This is our goal. What God has chosen the Lord for, he has called us to follow him in. This is the purpose. This is the goal. This is the fight. To tell the good news to the poor. Also, the Lord has sent me to do what? To announce freedom for prisoners. We are here to announce freedom to the prisoners. To give sight to the blind. Literally to give sight to the blind and to give sight to those who are blind. The metaphorical blind. To free everyone who suffers. And to say this is the year the Lord has chosen. That is why we are here. That is our purpose. And we are uniquely shaped to accomplish this. Shoreline is uniquely shaped to accomplish this. St. Edward's is uniquely shaped to accomplish this. The Rambo Church in Guyana is shaped and, and, and placed there to accomplish this mission. The church is a fight club. Not physical fight, but a fight club. Not a social club, but a fight club. And we can't lose sight of that vision. We can so easily become comfortable. We can so easily just settle in. But we've got to remember why we're here. We can go and visit other churches and complain because they didn't, are they in the fight? Then there's no reason to complain. That's why we're here. And we can so easily, so easily get off track. But we've got to be honest with ourselves and be truthful and say, you know what? If we see a church, we see a group, and we hear that they lost their building, like, oh, they're not doing well. Says who? Because the appearance of what that may seem. Uh, there's several churches in our area where a lot of staff are leaving. And the people at those churches, what's going wrong? Everybody's leaving. Who said something's wrong because people are leaving the staff? What matters is are they staying true to the fight? Are they accomplished? Maybe the Lord is making changes because he needs them because of their unique gifts to go and serve somewhere else. Or maybe he needs to provide the opportunity for someone to step in to fill that spot because he wants to accomplish something new. But we judge by the appearance, by the audience, how many people are coming, by the building or the sea. Wait, the finances are bad. What does that mean? What's wrong? Maybe nothing's wrong. We have to remember to keep our focus on what matters. 
And that applies on an individual basis as well. Because let's face it, we judge by appearance. If we see a guy like Saul walk in here, we're like, I should, that, that guy's probably a big deal. He looks like he's a big deal. He must be important. Or we look at ourselves and we always judge ourselves by appearance. And we know as people, if we look literally in the mirror, we never see ourselves the way we really are. We see, our, we, we, we distort ourselves. We look at our accomplishments. We look at our, our roles in life and we always seem to think less of ourselves. I've never had that problem. I don't know what my problem is. People tell me, you know what, you're short and small. And I'm like, really? Honestly, I didn't know that for most of my life because I feel big. And so it would shock me when other people would say that about me or they'd think less of themselves because I think I have like that little guy complex, like the chihuahua. And it's, it's caused me problems in different situations because I'll be in situations where I'm like, what? And everyone else is looking thinking, what's this chihuahua thing he's doing? Like he's going to get smashed. But how many of you see yourselves as a chihuahua when God has called you to something great, but you look at the appearance, whatever it is you're focusing on, and you miss what he sees? Or you make it your goal to become a Rottweiler when that's really not the goal. It's the heart. Our goal is to find God's heart and to let our heart beat after that. What we're going to do right now is we're going to look at God's Word and see what does that look like to live that out. To live and say, God, what is it you're calling me to? And I will do it even if it seems ridiculously impossible. Churches all over complain like, oh, if we only had this, then we could accomplish this. If we could only have these people doing this, then we could do that. If we only had enough people to serve here and here, then we could do this, but we can't because we don't have that. Instead of looking at what you don't have, we need to look at what we do have. What God has given us, because he's given us everything we need. What we're going to look at is David. And when you look at the story of David, you immediately think, oh, you mean the underdog that took on the guy that he shouldn't have beaten? That's not what this passage is teaching. We like to do that because we like the story of the underdog, but that's not here because David is actually not the underdog in this situation. So open up your Bibles and look at 1 Samuel 17. And we'll start in verse 1, and I'm going to give you some of the background, and then we'll highlight some of the verses on the way. The highlighted verses will be up here. Um, but in this passage, there's the, the Israelite army and the Philistine army. And as they typically do, they line up and they want to take each other on. But a common practice was they'd look around and go, Man, we're going to lose a lot of people here. And so they'd say, you know what, why don't we just choose one of our guys to fight one of their guys? That way not everyone gets knocked out just one person. That way we're saving lives, but we still can decide who wins this battle. And the way it was set up, they were on this valley that's a very important valley um, for commerce. It, it leads uh, to, to different um, trade routes. And so it's a very important valley that has a lot of history. And so in this valley, they're lined up on either side. They're up on the top. You got the Philistines on the top of one, then it drops down to the valley, then comes up and the Israelites on the other side. So whoever decides to go for it, so if the Israelites go, let's do it, and they get all crazy and start shooting down the valley and come up, they're going to get slaughtered. And if the Philistines go, oh, we're tired of waiting here. Let's just go for it. 
they're going to get destroyed. So nobody moves because they know battle-wise, that's just not a smart thing to do. So the Philistines say, hey, let's send out our, let's send out our big boy. Let's send out our nine-foot guy and let's send him out and let's, let's have him do the battle. So he comes down and says, who's going to take me on? And nobody takes him on because he's Goliath. Now, back then, Goliath didn't mean huge. It was just his name. Problem come, Gaul, big boy, whatever. That was just his normal name. Could have been James like today. So Goliath, or big boy, comes down, and he's, he's got his uh, armor bear, you know, because everybody needs to have one of those, right? Like you think, oh, if only I had someone to do my work for me. He must be very important because he's got someone to hold his shield. He's got all this, you know, he's got his spear, he's got his shield, his huge helmet, all of his armor. His armor alone was 100 pounds, 125 pounds. So he's down there threatening everybody and nobody wants to take him on because they're looking at him going, he's huge, I'm not, I can't fight him. We'll get to that in a second. So David, his brothers are there, family sends him, hey, bring some food for the crew. Bring some food for the family. They've been sitting around there doing nothing for a while. They're probably getting hungry. So he brings some stuff. Of course, he comes and he hears all this yelling. He's like, wait, why is nobody standing up to this guy? But he doesn't really care about the fight as much. He's like, why is nobody standing up for God's the living God's army. Why is nobody passionate about standing up for God? Do we not trust him? And the brothers, they're looking at little Davy because they're his brothers, right? They're like, what are you doing here? Get back to the sheep. Like they're all bitter. And, and he, I love this. We're going to do a, a one on this later on. He listens to them talking. What are they doing? They're looking at his appearance, right? They're looking at who he is as a kid. They've known him since he was a kid. So does he, does he get in a, in a battle with him verbally? No, it says that he just turns and asks someone else the question. You know, when you start thinking that you're in fear, when someone else says that you're in fear and it feeds into that thought, when they say it to your group, when they say it to your church, you need to learn to turn. We'll spend more time on that at another time, but in a beautiful way, he just turns and asks someone else the question because he's focused. He's like, someone's got to do something about this. this. It's not about the battle here. It's about him standing up to our God and none of us are standing up. We're all fearful. So he goes to Saul. They hear about it because they hear about this young kid. He's like, I'll take him on. Let's do this. And they're like, oh, seriously. So, he, so Saul goes, hey, this kid that keeps talking, bring him to me. Then Saul says this in 1 Samuel 17, You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're little more than a boy and he, Goliath, has been a warrior from his youth. What's Saul looking at? He's looking at the appearance. And David says, look, here's the deal. I'm a shepherd. When a lion comes or any other kind of animal bear takes one of my sheep, I go out there, I find that lion, I take care of business. This ain't nothing. Now, I don't think that changed Saul's mind. But he's like, what do we got to lose? No one else is standing up. We've been out here for days. This guy's a big talker. Let's go for it. But he doesn't believe it because all he can do is see David. He's limited by his eyes. So then he comes down and he's going to take on Goliath. He walks down into the, the little creek because there's a valley running right through there, right? So that's where the water flows. So rocks accumulate. And he grabs five stones and he puts them there. Now, immediately you're thinking, oh, he's a kid. He has a slingshot. There's more to it than that. 
We don't understand how they battled there. I'm going to give you a little brief description of that. Um, but Goliath, who he's a guy that we would call an infantry guy. He's got his big old spear. He looks at David, 17, 42 and 43. He looks at David and says, what? And so he says he saw a little boy glowing with health and handsome. So that means that Goliath was old and ugly because it says he despised him. And he says to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And this Philistine cursed David by his gods. So you look at this situation, you're like, David doesn't have a chance. What's he doing? He can't battle this bigger, stronger guy. Well, this is the way it works in their armies. And this is why we have to step back and see how fear can completely grasp people where they can't see clearly. If in their armies they would have the infantry, they would have the cavalry, and then they would have people called slingers. Slingers that would throw rocks. Like you go, oh, he's got his little rocks. How cute. No, 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 no. The way it works, they could sling this thing up to like, uh, I think it's up to like 42 revolutions per second. So they get it going. And when they fly that rock, we've measured it. We had some uh, people in schools, um, some scholars measure this. It would have the impact of a 45 caliber gun when you sling this rock. Pretty impressive, right? Except that guy is not going to do very good against the cavalry because the cavalry are moving. They're super accurate with it. However, you got a moving horse. So the horse, the cavalry would pretty much take care of the slingers because they're moving. Um, but he could take care of the infantry. The infantry could take care of the cavalry. It's kind of like rock, paper, scissors. Okay? You got the rock. That beats the scissors. Scissors beats the paper. Paper beats the rock, right? Same way. There's a circle there. And so when he's coming down and he's got his rocks, you could just see the army going, why didn't we think of that? Because they saw the enormity of this guy's size and they were overwhelmed. But something they didn't understand about Goliath that we've just come to know recently, many scholars have, have come to this conclusion, mainly doctors, they're like, wait, this guy's big? He has acromegaly. Now I'm saying it really fast in case I'm pronouncing it wrong. But what it is, it's a condition. It's an illness. And what happens is you'll see, and we have it today, people with um, really long foreheads. That doesn't mean if you see someone with a really long forehead, oh, Goliath. No, what happens is it's a, it's a benign tumor that's next to the pituitary gland, and it makes you grow, usually around 14, 15 and afterwards. Then you start growing, and you keep growing, and it doesn't stop. It's not good for your health. And what it will do is, is your hands will get huge. Uh, your head will get huge. You'll keep growing. You just, you grow. And you don't slow down because your body is messed up because of this tumor that's connected to the pituitary gland. Well, one of the side effects is on top of getting big, you get bigger, you get slower. On top of getting slower, it messes with your vision. Notice when he says, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? What sticks is he talking about? He comes out with a shepherd's crook. What does he see? Sticks. He sees multiple shepherd sticks. Why? Because that's one of the side effects of this disease is blurry vision. He can't see clearly. You see this guy walking down with a shield. Why is he walking down with a shield? Because Goliath can't carry it? No. Do you think the guy's going to be out there blocking for Goliath? It's because he needs someone to lead him down. He needs someone to take him down because he needs help getting to the right place. So everyone else is looking at this Goliath screaming and yelling with his big deep voice and they're afraid. 
not realizing that his strength and his size is also his weakness. So he comes down, and um, I love what Goliath says to him. He says, come to me. Come on. Why does he say come to me? Because he can't go to him. You get what's happening here? He's waiting for David to take him on on his turf. Come to me. Get really close because that's how I'm going to win this. David's like, that's dumb. That's not how I'm made. I'm faster than you. I've got this. We all know that paper beats rock. And so in a very simple way, he says, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin. Now does he say, but I come to you with a slingshot, so of course I'm going to win. Hello. Paper beats rock. No, because his eyes aren't there. His eyes are in a more important place. He says this, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. When you look at the battles in your own personal life, when we as a church Look at the challenges in front of us. Look at the call that we have. We're a church for people that don't, go, that don't go to church. And we can say, oh, if we only had this. Or when you look at your call to be a light to this world, if I could only speak this way, if I was only more kind, if I, only, if I was only this much more generous, if I knew more about the Bible, if I only, if I only, if I only. But instead, if you looked at who the Lord was, and you jumped into the fight, into the, into the goal, the purpose for what we're here for. If we were to step in that direction and instead look at God, whom should we fear? David doesn't enter this going, oh, I can totally win this. I can sling. That's not where his head's at. He's being smart. He's using his strengths. He's not like, okay, let's get in a wrestling match. That would be foolish. But instead, he looks at who he is, but even more importantly, he looks at who God is. He realizes what this fight is really about. Samuel 17, 47, he says this, all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Then dropping down to verse 50, it says, So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. And it never occurred to me before, but at that moment when he pulls out the sling and they all look, they're like, I could just see the people, the Israelites going, Oh, that's right. We should have sent our slingers. What were we thinking? But they were so paralyzed by fear they couldn't see clearly. They saw the appearance and they lost track of not only who they are and what they can do, they thought of what they couldn't do rather than what they could do, but they also forgot the heart of what this is all about. Why are you even in this valley? Because God has called you to something. 
He's called you to a large battle. We're not talking a physical battle for us. He's called us to set people free. He's called us to be a light to the world. And we have all of our excuses and all the reasons why we can't do it. But we are called. Using this church as an example, we are a simple church. And we've done that on purpose. We have no goals to get large. We have no goals to get smaller, to stay the same size. That doesn't matter. Our goal is to stay simple to the calling we have. And in that, we need to look at the strengths that we have. For example, here at Branches, because of who we are, you have a greater opportunity to participate and to serve. It's a lot harder to just be an audience, right? I can just look out there and say, hey, Rob, hey, I need you to do something. Literally, right now, I could ask Rob to do it. I could pretty much see all of your faces, which should be petrifying to you right now, because say, hey, Ashley, by the way, I was thinking you have a unique set of gifts. What about, yeah, see, I'm looking around. All of you are like, oh, I think I need to go to the bathroom right now. In another way, we can more in easily invite people to participate. We can more in easily invite our neighbors and our friends. Every time I look around, Raquel's got friends here. Now, if she's in a larger church, but if she brings them here, her expectation is, and, and, and I know you guys think this as well. In fact, Raquel's thinking this right now. When she brings her friends, she's like, okay, Boog, if you're teaching this morning, don't screw this up because I brought my friends, right? And when they come and Esh is teaching, like, Esh, don't mess this up. I brought one of my friends. But it's more easily given to us to bring people because it's, it's simpler, it's easier. And I'm telling you this, when I bring my friends and they come, I had a friend came, come this morning and he said, hey, I was here two weeks ago. And I was like, oh, I wonder how it went. I'm not really worried about who's teaching. I'm looking out at everybody else and I'm going, guys, don't screw this up. I hope someone said hey to him. I, someone, I hope someone said, hey, what's your name? Hey, do you have kids here? Do you need me to walk you back? We have that opportunity. But because we're a simpler church, if someone were to come to branches and visit, and it's not a warm environment, they're going to hold us even more responsible because it should happen here, right? Now, if they go to this huge 4,000-person church and nobody says hey to them, they're still going to be bummed. They're like, well, it's a big church. But I get petrified that someone's going to come here, including my friends or anyone else, and no one said hey to them. Not only are they not going to come back here, they won't go to any other community of faith. Because in their mind, they're going to go, they didn't even say hey to me. And they had a perfect opportunity. That's how Christians are. So we have these strengths, but we also have these weaknesses. And we have to be aware of who we are. We're going to look at that over the next few weeks. We have a better opportunity for intimacy, for God to do something powerful. When I was sick, I heard from people all over the cities, all over the state, and literally all over the world saying, look, in fact, in their heads, you know what they imagined? They thought Branches was huge. <laughs> they thought that we had like a three, 4,000 person church because they saw the influence of what was happening outside of Branches when I got sick. And they're like, whoa, if it's going to have this kind of impact, it must be a big church. And people will still come to Branches and they're like, oh, 
Um, so is it because of the parking this week? Is that why no one's here? Because they've heard of all this impact and they've heard about what you have done, about how God has moved and how we've grown closer together and how we've had this impact. And so they assume, oh, well, then you must be big. I love what Margaret Mead said. An educator, she said, never doubt that a small group of people can change the world because they, in fact, are the only ones who ever have. Do you hear that? Since we got our friends from Shoreline here, when we planted Shoreline, there were six of us. Six. And being open and honest, George, one of my best friends, he's like, I, I feel like I'm really called to plant a church. I'm sitting in George's living room. Um, well, actually, his little office, which is really an overstatement. I'm saying office, you have a picture in your head. It wasn't an office. Sure, there was a chair in there and a couch and a table, but it was not an office. And we're sitting in there, and he's like, I'm going to plant this church. And we're close enough, and I'm, um, I have no filters. And so I went, George, you're not qualified to pull this off. You're not organized enough. You haven't taught enough. You're never on time. I go, this is like, this is a big deal. Why would I say that? Because I was judging on the appearance and not on the heart. And God has used George and the five of us and all the other people that everybody else would have looked at and went, yeah, right, that's never going to happen. And God has moved in a powerful way through that group of people who stayed focused on the purpose, on the fight, onto what we are called to. And he is the one that has saved. He has been the one that has accomplished his purposes through a people that were seeking his will. Every decision we make here at Branches has to be revolved around that. We've had questions galore like, wait, we heard that the finances, what's going on with the finances? And this is one of the questions we hear. Does that mean that the doors are going to close or just going to show up some Sunday and the doors are going to be closed? How does that have anything to do with what our calling is? That has nothing to do with it. When I got sick, that wasn't an excuse like, oh, <coughs> I better just retire now. Nothing left. Retirement isn't in the cards for any of us. You understand that, right? You can stop doing the job you were doing, but that doesn't change your calling. You're here for a reason. We are here to change the world. And if you have breath, if you can do anything, then you have something to accomplish. As a church, if the finances are not there, oh, well, we figure something out. I was out at a church in uh, El Salvador, and I went up there, and the guy literally, his church literally had 10 cents in the bank. 10 cents, a dime. And yet, that didn't affect any of the things they were doing. They were in the middle of a million-dollar project to bring water to the surrounding three villages. And for at least three years, I'm like, you know what? We should do this thing called La Casa where we get this apartment and we do this because that needs to happen for all the reasons that we've talked about. And what was the reason we didn't do it? Oh, we don't have enough money. We don't have a place. We don't have the right people, blah, 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 blah. And here's this guy, Miguel, with 10 cents going, God's called us to do it. Let's do it. So I came back and I'm like, we really don't have an excuse. We have more than a dime in the bank. I'm pretty sure God's big enough that he can accomplish this. We're called to a purpose and we cannot look at the appearance of the situation and let that get in the way of what we're called to do. 
um, the harbor has uh, changed their policies for the hours that you can rent and this and that. And so with that change, if we stay at 9.30, it's going to cost us $1,250 more a month. And so we either had to choose 9 a.m. or 10 a.m. So as elders, as a staff, we're praying and fasting on which time should we choose. Right now, the more important thing you're thinking of is, wait, which time do they choose? <laughs> that doesn't matter. I'm going to tell you. But what matters is why we make those decisions. And we had to make it based on, on the purpose for why we're here. We're a church for people who don't go to church. We can't make a decision for work, what works best for us. We can't make a decision based on, wait, what does everybody else think? What, we're not going to take a poll. Hey, what's, what's better for you? Hey, what's better for you? Hey, what's better for you? Let's vote. No, because we are a church. So we're making a decision for what's best for the people that walk by, for, the, for our friends that we invite. So for that reason, we chose the 9 a.m. I went into it thinking it's going to be 10 a.m. for sure. That's what every other church does. There's a bunch of reasons why, and we're not going to get into all the details. But the two things that really stuck out to me were um, someone said, uh, one of the elders said this. They said, well, when we had the 845 and the 1030, everybody went to the 845 and not the 1030. And I was like, I never thought about that. And so we thought about our community of faith and we're like, well, if they can do that, then we can do nine. But the even bigger impact for us was, I don't know if you know this, parking's pretty bad around here. If you go to 9 a.m., it's a lot better than it is 10. It's not perfect at 9, but it's a lot better than 10. And um, I consistently have friends that I talk with and say, you know, we got to come down there someday. We got to come visit. And when they do come, they've circled it on their calendar, so to speak. It's a big deal. And I just had a family the other day. I was, I was dropping my daughter off at their house. We were talking and they said, oh, we should come. And I thought about them. I thought about their faces. I thought about their two boys and their daughter. And I thought, what if they came here at 10 a.m. and they did the circle? You know what I'm talking about, right? And then they circled and then they start driving and they get towards El Torito and they're just like, forget it. And they never come back, not only here, but anywhere else. 9 a.m. it is. The point is, it's not what time we choose. It's not, hey, is the money coming? It's not, we have a calling. We have a purpose for why we're here. We're in a fight, a fight to share this good news, to care for the suffering, to set the prisoners free. That's why we're here, and we can't lose sight of that. That's what it means when we say we're a simple church. That's what this is about. So our goal for this series is to examine our hearts, for us to have dialogue together on the areas of what it means to be a simple church, of what it means to not look at the appearance, but what does it mean to have the heart that David had? We're going to close with Acts 13, 22. I want to invite the worship team up. If you guys could come on up. If you guys could stand with me, and I want you to look at this verse. Acts 13, 22, we'll have it up here. But I want you to hear it because this is Paul talking about David. And this is how God described David. The Lord said, I've searched the land and found this David, the son of Jesse. He's a man whose heart beats to my heart. A man who will do what I tell him. That is what we are called to. 
That is what it means to be a simple church, a simple man, a simple woman, a simple family. To focus for us as individuals, as families, as in a church, to remind ourselves, what is the goal here? Why are we here? We are here to bring honor to him. Um, I'm going to pray for us. We're going to take communion. And I love what Jesus says in communion when he says, do this in remembrance of me. And so that passage that we initially showed um, during this song, um, and actually I don't know which song you chose, whichever song you chose, you chose. But during this song, if you could put up the, um, the 1 Samuel 16 passage, you know, the one you're going to get a tattoo of. And let this be, oh, sorry, not the 1 Samuel 16, the, uh, the Luke passage. And if you could look at this and do, when you take communion, do that in remembrance of Jesus, our Savior, our teacher, who we follow. Because as a church, this is what we're called to. As individuals and families, this is what we're called to. Father, may your kingdom come and may your will be done. We ask this, plead for this, and ask for your strength in this. In the name of Jesus, amen.